morning. If you have your Bibles and are able to turn to John chapter 16, uh, I want to encourage you to be back every single night. Tomorrow night is going to be ladies' night. That means all the ladies are responsible to get folks here. So ladies, you've been chosen from before the foundation of the world to bring visitors on September 12th. 2022 to Bible Baptist Church and the revival meeting. So ladies, let me encourage you to work at getting friends and family and neighbors and co-workers and all of that. Get them to come tomorrow night. And the lady with the most points will get something off the back table. Uh, we'll, we'll talk to you more about the point system tonight. But if you bring a visitor that so that is someone that is here this morning, then you get them back tomorrow night. They count as 100 points. If they are not here this morning and you get them to come back uh, Monday night, they count as 500 points. And if you get someone to come who comes for the first time or the first time in six months, we'll count them as 1,000 points. Okay? So 100 points if they're here this morning, 500 points if they're not, 1,000 points if they come for the first time. And the lady with the most points will get something off the back table. There's some books, there's CDs and whatnot. I want to encourage you along those lines. And, uh, and pastor's going to buy you a Cadillac. So I want to encourage you to do whatever you can to get visitors here, okay? And let's see what God will do in the service. Now, uh, this is just a real friendly little way to get people motivated. Uh, sometimes uh, it, we, we should just be all spiritual and do it just because we love Jesus, but maybe we're not all as spiritual as we need to be. So uh, I just want to encourage you to do your part in getting folks here, and uh, we'll work at that every single night. Tuesday night will be men's night. That means all the men have been appointed and selected to be getting visitors here on Tuesday night. And Wednesday night will be Sunday school night. All the Sunday school teachers will be working. And then Thursday night will be youth night. So you don't want to miss a single night of being in the service. As I said in Sunday school, some of you may have never been to a full week of revival meetings. And I can't think of a better time than September of 2022 to start that. And uh, there have been many people in the last few years that have come to me at the end of the services and said, this is our first revival meeting. We've been to every service. And they were happy about it. And so I think it'll be something that'll bring great joy in your life as well. So work at it and let's see what God will do. And most of all, let's be praying, praying, praying that God will work in the heart of the preacher, that God will help me as I preach, that God will work in the specials, that he'll work in the congregational singing, he'll work and bring conviction. And uh, I want God to work, don't you? I want to see God work and I want to be a part of God working. And uh, I'm praying that God will do just that this morning. Let's pray right now and ask the Lord to help us. Father, we love you and we thank you for the privilege that's ours to open up the Bible. Help me as I preach this morning to preach in the power of the Holy Spirit. I pray that the words given will be explained clearly. And I pray that Jesus would be exalted in everything that we say and everything that we do. Lord, I pray that those here who do not know Christ as their Savior would turn to him this morning, that they would turn away from whatever it is they're trusting and they would believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. I pray that you'd help me to make clear the word of God and clear the gospel. And Lord, I pray for Christians that are just walking, at drifting, drifting away from you, not where they ought to be, not where they once were, not where they should be, just drifting from you. Lord, help them to come back to you today. And may Jesus be pleased and honored in what we do and say in his name. Amen. To think that God would be ignored, altogether dismissed, summarily disregarded, is almost repulsive. But God has been ignored time and time and time again. When He sent His prophets throughout the Old Testament, 
Many of them were scorned, laughed at, God was ignored, and in His place, idols unfolded. God was ignored when Jesus Christ came to this earth. The Bible says that He was born in a manger. He said that foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests, and the Son of Man hath not where to lay His head. God was ignored when Jesus lived this life. The Bible says He came unto His own, and His own received Him not. In the book of Isaiah 53, it says He was despised and rejected as of men. We hid as it were our faces from Him. He was ignored. He was disregarded. He was dismissed. That God would be ignored is repulsive. That God would be ignored, disregarded, and altogether dismissed is stunning. Simply because if for no other reason, He is the solution for our mess. And to think that we could just plod on and go onward and plow forward without the key component, God is completely, uh, almost, uh, it's unconscionable. But I want you to see that God is being ignored today through the person of the Holy Spirit. And as we look at John chapter 16, I want you to see what the Bible says about His ministry and what He does. I believe that there are many churches around the world that have already met from the date line all the way around to right here in the central time zone. And Jesus Christ has been exalted and He's being praised and He's being magnified right now. And the Word of God is preached. But in many churches around the world and in even many churches right here in Brookings, the machinery of church is going forward and God is completely ignored. I speak specifically of the Holy Spirit. There are churches that are meeting right now and have met for decades and they have the machinery of church. Everything looks like church. They've got the stained glass. They've got the organ music. They've got the song service. But God the Holy Spirit isn't anywhere near that church or in that church or allowed to work in that church because He's been summarily dismissed and completely ignored. I want to preach to you this morning on the subject when God is ignored. When God is ignored. And there may be someone here this morning who's been ignoring God. Ignoring His work in your life. Dismissing His words in your life. Disregarding His leading in your life. And His guidance in your life. And what a tragic thing it would be that you would come to the end of your life and we would find that we have completely disregarded the guidance, the wisdom, the direction that He has offered and replaced it with our own understanding. Notice please what the Bible says in John chapter 16. John chapter 16 verse 7. He says, nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is expedient. That means it's necessary. It's appropriate for you that I go away. For if I go not away, the Comforter will not come unto you. But if I depart, I will send him unto you. Now, who can tell me who is speaking in this passage of Scripture? Who is speaking? Jesus Christ is speaking. And to whom is Jesus Christ speaking in John chapter 16? He's speaking to His disciples. And He says to His disciples, it's expedient, it's necessary, it's vital that I go away. He said, if I don't go away, the Comforter will not come unto you. But if I go away, I will send Him unto you. Now, there are three persons in the Godhead, three in one. We believe that is taught from Genesis chapter number 2 all the way out to Revelation chapter number 
21 and 22. It is clearly taught the Trinity, the, the Godhead, if you will, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, equally working together, but equally distinct in their own function and their own ability. There are some things that they do that are similar. There are some things that they do that are different. God the Father is the, is, is the one who is our Heavenly Father. He's the one to whom we pray. God the Son is the one who came and who is speaking in this passage. He lived a perfect, spotless, sinless life, went to the cross and died, shed His precious red royal blood, was buried and rose again. And it's through the Lord Jesus Christ and only through the Lord Jesus Christ that you and I can find forgiveness of sin. It's only through the Lord Jesus Christ that you can be set free. Only through the Lord Jesus Christ that you can find salvation so that hell's gates will be closed and heaven's gates will be opened come your eternal destiny. And so I want you to see that the Holy Spirit now is the one of whom the Lord Jesus Christ is speaking. It is the Lord Jesus that is speaking. He is speaking to His disciples and He is speaking about the Holy Spirit. What does the Holy Spirit do? What does the Holy Spirit do? Look at our text and notice His name in verse 7. He says, If I go not away, the Comforter will not come unto you. Do you know what the Holy Spirit does? He comforts. And the Bible calls Him the Paraclete. He comes along and comforts in a way that only He can. Now, I can get some measure of comfort from talking to my friends. But sometimes my friends are not always available if I call them or if I come visit them. I can get some measure of comfort from my family. I always love to have my family nearby. And I love to go visit and spend time with family. And I'm looking forward to this next week or two when I'll be able to be with family both in at home and then back up here in the Minnesota area. And I'm looking forward to that. But sometimes my family cannot offer the comfort that I need. But there are times in the darkest of night and in the bleakest of moments when I need comfort and I know that the Holy Spirit is here in me and with me and He can give me comfort. And He's given me that comfort. Some of you have gone through deep and dark trials in life. Maybe they've been family trials or maybe they've been uh, some tragedy of some death in the family and, and maybe they've been a difficulty that you never would have expected, but here you are. And, and those comfort, those moments when you de need desperate comfort and divine comfort, they come only from the Holy Spirit. The Bible says He gives us that comfort in 2 Corinthians chapter 1. So first, the Holy Spirit comforts. Look at verse number 8. It says, And when He has come, He will reprove the world of sin and of righteousness and of judgment. So what does He do? Number two, He reproves. The Holy Spirit, God the Holy Spirit, the one who is here right now, like Jesus was walking on this earth 2,000 years ago, that Holy Spirit, He reproves the world of sin and of righteousness and of judgment. What does the Holy Spirit do? God the Holy Spirit. God the Holy Spirit who is here in this place. God the Holy Spirit who is right next to you. If you're saved, God the Holy Spirit who is in you. That Holy Spirit reproves the world of sin and of righteousness and of judgment. Now the Bible speaks of 2 Thessalonians chapter 2 and it says someday the, 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 the he who now letteth or hinders will let, will hinder until he be taken out of the way. And he'll be taken out of the way when the rapture happens. It doesn't mean that he will vanish. He can't do that. He's omnipresent just like the Holy, the Lord Jesus Christ and the Father. He is God, so he is everywhere, but he will vanish in, in and he will be taken out of the way in that the, the Christians are removed. 
And when the Christians are removed, the indwelling presence, the special presence of the Holy Spirit will be gone. He, it will be the only time in the world that, that all there's not been one saved person on the planet. Interesting. And when that happens, a vacuum will take place. What is the Holy Spirit doing now? He's reproving the world. What does the Holy Spirit do? He comforts. Comforts His own. What does the Holy Spirit do? He reproves the world. Right now, in this place, the Holy Spirit is reproving you. That means He is standing against your sin. That means He is reproving you and showing you what is the wrong way. That means He is showing you what is the right way. Let's look and see how that expands. Verse number 9. He says He'll reprove the world of sin because they believe not on Me. Let me say something to you. God's not okay with your sin. He's not okay with sin. God has a controversy against sin. He's against all the sin and the vice that goes on in the streets in Brookings, South Dakota. He's, he's, he's against the drug dealing and the, and the immorality and the fornication and the adultery that men just seem to, took to, to turn their head and look the other way concerning. He's against all the sin at high levels in the, in the mayor's office or where else, wherever else it exists and there's people being paid under the table and bribes going on. He's against the sin in the judges that are in South Dakota that seem to be looking the other way when sin is around and not just South Dakota but all over the country. God is against sin. And he's against sin of every kind and in every level. I want you to keep your finger here in John chapter 16. And let's look at a few lists in the Bible to see what God has to say. Look back at the book of, uh, uh, let's look over to Galatians. Turn in the right in your Bible. If you have it, turn in the right. You'll find first, first let's go to 1 Corinthians chapter number 6. 1 Corinthians chapter number 6. And let's look at this list. 1 Corinthians chapter number 6. He says in 1 Corinthians chapter number 6 and verse number 9, Know ye not that the unrighteous shall not inherit the kingdom of God. Be not deceived. Be not deceived. Neither fornicators, nor, uh, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor effeminate, nor abusers of themselves with mankind. That would be sexual perverts. Nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor extortioners shall inherit the kingdom of God. In other words, God's reproving the world of sin. God's not okay with sin. Look at the next verse, verse number 11. And such were some of you. Verse number 11. But ye are washed, but ye are sanctified, but ye are justified in the name of the Lord Jesus and by the Spirit of our God. In other words, when God saves a person, He saves them out of that. He saves them from that. He delivers them from, and He begins to clean them up and wash them and sanctify them and justify them, sets them on a new course. The Bible says, if any man be in Christ, he's a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. Look at Galatians chapter number 6, would you? Galatians chapter 5, just again to the right. <clears throat> just a few books, and you'll find Galatians chapter 5. And look at what he says in Galatians chapter 5 concerning this very thing. He says in Galatians chapter 5 and verse number 19, Now the works of the flesh are manifest, which are these, adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lasciviousness. Those would be all sexual, sexual perversions and sexual sins. He says in verse number 20, idolatry, I, uh, idolatry, uh, uh, witchcraft, hatred, variance, emulations, wrath, strife, seditions, heresies. All right, he speaks of idolatry and witchcraft. Those would be directly linked to the occult. Then he speaks of hatred and variance and emulations, 
Those would be sins of the Spirit, wrath, strife, seditions, heresies, always causing division and strife. Verse 21, envyings, murders, drunkenness, revelings, and such like of the which I tell you before, as I have also told you in time past, that they which do such things shall not inherit the kingdom of God. All right, God's against sin. Take your Bible, turn over to Ephesians, another book to the right. I want you to see that God's not for sin. He's against sin. Ephesians chapter 5. Ephesians chapter 5. Notice what he says in verse number 3. Ephesians chapter 5 and verse 3. But fornication and all uncleanness or covetousness, let it not be once named among you as become a saints. He's speaking to the believers at the church at Ephesus. Neither filthiness nor foolish talking nor jesting, which are not convenient, but rather giving of thanks. Verse 5, note, he says, for this ye know. That no whoremonger, that's someone who's addicted to sexual immorality, nor unclean person, again, a sexual pervert, nor covetous man, nor uh, who, who is an idolater, hath any inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and of God. Let no man deceive you with vain words, for because of these things cometh the wrath of God upon the children of disobedience. Be not ye therefore partakers with them. Oh, wow. I'd say, if I'm reading these verses, that God is against sin, wouldn't you? Take your Bible and turn with me over to Revelation chapter 21. Revelation chapter 21. <clears throat> Let's see what God has to say in Revelation chapter 21 and verse number 8. Jesus said in Mark chapter 7 and verse 21 through 23, For from within of the heart of men proceed evil thoughts, adulteries, fornications, murders, thefts, covetousness, wickedness, deceit, lasciviousness, an evil eye, blasphemy, pride, foolishness. All these things come from within and defile the man. All right, look at Revelation 21 and verse 8. But the fearful and unbelieving and the abominable and murderers and whoremongers and sorcerers and idolaters and all liars shall have their part in the lake which burneth with fire and brimstone, which is the second death. Mm. I'd say God's not for sin. He's against it, wouldn't you? Look at Revelation chapter 22. Look at what it says in Revelation chapter 22 when it lists these things. Revelation chapter 22, he speaks about these very things and he says that without are dogs. In other words, God's not going to let sin in. Look at Revelation 21, excuse me, and verse number 27. There shall in no wise enter into it, that is, enter into heaven, anything that defileth, neither whatsoever worketh abomination or maketh a lie. What's he saying? He's saying God's not letting these things in. Look at Revelation 22 and verse 15. For without are dogs. Now that's not talking about your Fido. Uh, that's talking about those that are involved in specific sexual deviancies and sins. For without are dogs and sorcerers. That has the idea of someone who's involved in drug dealing and drug doing, as well as those that are involved in witchcraft. And whoremongers, somebody that's involved, addicted to sexual immorality. And murderers, Jesus said, whosoever hateth his brother is a murderer. An idolater, and whosoever loveth and maketh a lie. I didn't touch the list in Romans chapter 1. I didn't hardly touch the list in Mark chapter 7. But there are lists like this all throughout the Bible which show us this. God's not for sin, He's against it. He's not giving you a thumbs up on your Facebook page listing all kinds of sin. He's not giving you a thumbs up on your life listing all kinds of sin. You've got beer in your refrigerator. You've got immorality in your life. You've got pornography on your phone. You've got all kinds of things. God's not for it. He's against it. And those involved in this kind of lifestyle are going to hell. They're not going to heaven. God's not for it. He's against it. You say, preacher, I don't really like what you're saying. Well, excuse me, I didn't write the book. I'm just preaching it. 
And I want to say to you that if you're involved in it, your controversy is not with a little blonde-headed midget from North Carolina. It's with Almighty God. You've got a problem with God. And I want to ask you, how's that adultery working out for you? How's that immorality working out for you? How's that lying and stealing and thieving working out for you? How's that drug dealing and, and boozing working out for you? How's that pornography working out for you? It's not. And right now, the Holy Spirit is convincing. That is, He is convicting the world of sin. And notice back, please, in John chapter 16, because I want you to see what is the most offensive sin to God. Look at John chapter 16 and verse number 9. Of sin, because they believe not on me. Now, we're trying to discover what God the Holy Spirit does and how God the Holy Spirit is being ignored. Look, God came and walked in the garden in the cool of the day. He gave Adam one command, not five, not ten, just one command. You can eat every tree of the garden and you can have everything that is in the garden except one tree. And God was ignored and God was dismissed and God was disregarded and in His place, Sin abounded and they allowed sin into their life and they plunged the entire human race into the abyss of darkness and gloom and destruction and defeat and disease and death. God was ignored in Genesis chapter 6 when, when men were living in abject wickedness and immorality. God was ignored in Genesis chapter 11 when men tried to build the Tower of Babel and get to God and get to heaven without God. God was ignored throughout the Old Testament by the, when the prophets were sent. Then the people ignored them and built their own idols and He was ignored when He was here on this earth. A preacher set up a tent a friend of mine in East Tennessee, and he prayed and fasted, had his people pray for 40 days, and they had the power of God come down on that tent, and people get saved in mighty measure. And you know what he said to me at the end? He said, I think that most Christians and most preachers and most people in Greene County don't even know what God is doing right here. I said, welcome to real life. Welcome to the ministry of the Lord Jesus. Welcome. Now, I've driven 14 hours to come and be in this place. And I expect God to do some great things. And I'm praying that God will move and He will shake foundations and He will upturn the strongholds of evil and of the devil. But it is likely that at the end of this week, there will be people, and maybe tragically even some sitting here right now, who will dismiss God, give a cold shoulder to God, ignore God altogether, disregard God for some trite little trinket or from some new newsreel or for some dumb ball game. What a tragedy! What a tragedy that Pastor Ivan Yoder would be in this place preaching for these many years, preaching forth the Word of God, and more Brookings wouldn't come to hear the Word of God preached. What a tragedy that when thousands of tracts have gone out in this community and thousands of gospel witnesses and Facebook posts and the like have gone out in this community that people have taken the tracks and put it in their pocket and it turns up in the wash and they summarily dismiss God for taking their kids to a ball game, for, for, for going off to make a little bit extra money. When God is ignored, it's a tragedy. I want to tell you, God's not going to be ignored and someday everybody here is going to bow before Him. You know what God's going to prove? He's going to prove that when He put those lists down and showed that He is not for sin, He's against it, that it was repulsive to Him, He's going to show in John chapter 16 as He does very clearly in verse number 20, John chapter 16 and verse number 8 and 9, He's going to show that the thing that is most offensive to Him is when they believed not on Jesus Christ. Now I tell you, adultery will, will set you on the road to hell. 
And fornication is wicked. It will set you on the road to hell. And drug dealing and witchcraft and seances and Ouija boards will set you on the road to hell. And drunkenness and, and alcohol will set you on the road to hell. And variance and strife and wrath and, and seditions and heresies will set you on the road to hell. But what will seal the deal, hear me, and what will cinch the deal and send you straight to hell is when you do not believe on Jesus Christ. When you choose to believe on your own religion, or you choose to believe on your confirmation, or you choose to depend upon your catechism, or you choose to depend upon your upbringing, or your tradition, or your ritual, or that you're a good Baptist, or a good Lutheran, or a good Muslim, or a good Mormon, and you choose to believe on that instead of believing on Jesus Christ who died, was buried, and rose again. What does the Holy Spirit do? He reproves the world. And right now in this place, and all across Brookings, and down into Sioux Falls, and up into Watertown, and over into Minneapolis, and over into Rapid, and into Pierre, South Dakota, and all over this country, He is convincing the world of their sin because they believe not on Me. What will seal the deal and send you straight to a devil's hell is that you will not believe that Jesus Christ is the only way of salvation. I want to tell you, you deny the Lord Jesus Christ. My, 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 my. You'll have all eternity to think about it. You can bow up in pride now. You can say, I don't like a preacher that raises his voice. You can say, I don't like somebody that points out his sin. I don't like somebody that pounds the pulpit. I don't like somebody that points his finger. You can get mad at me and that's all fine and good. You get mad at God and you'll have all eternity to think about how your pride and your unbelief sent you straight to hell. Verse 10. He's going to reprove the world, convict the world. The idea behind the word can reprove is convince. As a lawyer would convince. He reproves, he convicts, he convinces the world of sin because they believe not on me. His ultimate sin, the ultimate sin that, can send, that will send you to hell is unbelief, verse 10. Of righteousness because I go to my Father and you see me no more. Now hear me. The reason that we need righteousness is because we are unrighteous. Let me say that again. The reason that we need righteousness is because we are unrighteous. We're not good, we're bad. We're not okay, as the psychologists have told us. We're in deep trouble with Almighty God because we've sinned against Him and we lack what is necessary to stand before Him. Righteousness. Perfect righteousness. Jesus said, except your righteousness shall exceed the righteousness of the scribes and the Pharisees, ye shall in no case enter into the kingdom of heaven. Do you know how righteous the scribes and Pharisees were? They would tithe of everything they possessed. Are you listening, ladies? Including their spice rack. Their mint and their anise and their cumin. Now, I don't know how things are here in South Dakota, but brother, even when they give offerings around here, do you ever find mint and anise and cumin in there? Probably not. But that's how righteous the Pharisees were. They said, we want to be following the law so meticulously and so vigorously that we're even willing to tithe a tenth of our mint and anise and cumin. They would pray long prayers. Not just so that they could be seen of men, but so that they could enter into heaven. They would wear certain garments with their phylacteries on the end of their borders of their garments. They would fast twice a week. Do you fast twice a week? Now, probably some of us could use a fast or two each week, but most of us don't fast twice a week. They did, not just so that they could uh, follow the law, but so that they could get into heaven. And Jesus said, it's not good enough. 
If you fast twice a week and you tithe of all that you possess and you follow the rules to the nth degree, it's not good enough. You're going to have to have a righteousness that exceeds the righteousness of the scribes and Pharisees. Why? Because our righteousness won't cut it. Do you know what Jesus said on our best day? On our best day, our righteousnesses are as filthy rags. Isaiah 64 and verse 6. Filthy rags. Do you know what the word is for that, that phrase, filthy rags? It's the idea, excuse me, of rags that have been unwound from open, leprous, pussy, oozing sores and thrown in a heap. Thrown in the blue or the green trash bag in the hospital. Put away chemically or, 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 uh, chemically or otherwise disposed of. He says that is what our righteousness is. Our, our best day. Now, nobody here has any problem saying that our lying and our stealing and our thieving and our, and our pride and our murder is bad. I mean, is there anybody here that would say, I think that that's good? Nobody here would in their right mind say that that stuff is good. We'd all say bad is bad. But God doesn't just say our bad is bad. God says our good is bad. Do you know why? Most of the time we do good to be seen of men. There's a word for that. It's called pride. Or we do good so that we can cover up or compensate for our bad. And there's a word for that. It's called deception. So God says our bad is bad, but also our good is bad. So our righteousnesses are as filthy rags on our best day. The best, the best, most religious, most upstanding citizen of Brookings, South Dakota on his best day. On his best day, Dwight Smith on his best day, driving the speed limit all the way over from Indianapolis yesterday. Uh, on his best day, keeping within the lines, trying to follow the rules. On his best day, it's not good enough to get me into heaven. Now, there are some who are critics that would say, well, what do you Baptists believe? You don't believe it's good to do good works? No, we believe it's good to do good works. But we believe that according to the Bible, if you do good works to earn heaven, you're going to hell. Because good works are not the cause of salvation, they are the result of salvation. Does that make sense? Am I making any sense this morning? Are you picking up what I'm putting down? I'm simply trying to help you this morning to understand what God is saying about our righteousness. Number one, our righteousness isn't enough. Number two, our righteousness is repulsive and bad in God's sight. Number three, there's only one person that can give us righteousness that's sufficient to get us into heaven, and that's Jesus Christ. And that's why the Bible says your righteousness must exceed that of the scribes and Pharisees. Now, do you know that God saved Pharisees in the Bible? How many of you are glad that God saves anyone? Let me see your hand. You're glad. I'm glad God saves anyone. And God will save everyone. God doesn't have a select number of people that He's chosen to go to heaven and the rest too bad. No, God loves everyone. He wants to save everyone for God so loved the world. That includes you and me. And whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord means just that. Don't let anybody tell you different. But listen to me. When God saved people, He saved Pharisees. you know who was a Pharisee that got saved in the Bible? I believe Nicodemus got saved. He came to Jesus by night in John chapter 3, and he said, Rabbi, we know that thou art a teacher come from God. No man can do these miracles that, that thou doest except God be with him. And Jesus said, you must be born again. You must be born again. You must be born again. And you follow Nicodemus later, and he's defending Jesus in front of the other Pharisees. And later he's there to help Joseph of Arimathea bring Jesus' body down off the cross and bury him. I believe that Nicodemus got saved. And I believe he was born again. Do you know who else was a Pharisee who got saved? Saul of Tarsus. He was in Hebrew of the Hebrews. He was of the tribe of Benjamin. As touching the law, he was a Pharisee concerning zeal. He persecuted the church. But he realized one day, as righteous as he was, as good education as he had, it wasn't good enough. That he was lost, undone, and headed to hell. And let me say, my dear friend, listen to me. Listen to me. Nobody wants to admit that. 
I don't want to admit that. I don't want to say that all my education and all my good deeds, all these things, that they're not good enough to get me into heaven. I kind of like the idea, the good old American way of pulling myself up by my own bootstraps and making my way in a hard place in life. But that's not the way to heaven. That might be the American way and that might be helpful in capitalism and I might be good in some other areas, but it's not going to keep you from hell and get you to heaven. Why? Because he says, I'm reproving, convincing the world of righteousness because I go to my Father and ye see me no more. So what's the Holy Spirit doing right now in this auditorium? He's convincing everyone here. You're, you're a sinner and the worst sin that you could ever commit is unbelief. Choosing not to believe on Jesus Christ. That your righteousness is not enough and you need Jesus' righteousness. And do you know what Paul said? He said, he said I, 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 that I may be found in him not having mine own righteousness, which is of the law, but righteousness, which is of faith in Jesus Christ. He said, I count all those things but lost, but dung, a pile of manure. Anybody here in South Dakota know what that's like? He says, that's what I count my righteousness as. He says that I may be, that I may win Christ and be found in Him. In other words, Paul said, all my pedigree, sitting at the feet of Gamaliel, all of my accomplishments, all of my good deeds, I count it but dung, that I may win Christ, that I may know Christ, that I might find Christ, that I might be in heaven someday with Christ. Now, it's either going to be heaven or hell. And the, what determines whether you go to heaven or hell is not your confession or your creed or your dogma. It's what the Bible says. And the Bible says that you and I are sinners and the most repulsive sin that sends you to hell is unbelief. That you don't have enough righteousness to get you to heaven. And look at what else he reproves the world of. Verse number 11. Of judgment. Of judgment because the prince of this world is judged. <laughs> you know, if I were writing the Bible, I wouldn't have said that. I would have said of judgment because all y'all are going to get judged if you don't get saved. That's not what he said. I would have said of judgment because there is a hell that burns with the fiery judgment of God. He didn't say that. He said of judgment because the prince of this world is judged. You know what he's saying? He's saying the Holy Spirit comforts. The Holy Spirit reproves or convinces or convicts of sin, righteousness, and of judgment. And of judgment because Satan lost. Wow. He says, I'm convicting the world of sin because you believe not on me. Of, judge, of righteousness because I go to my Father and you see me no more. Of, of, of judgment because the prince of this world is judged. In other words, you can either choose to follow Satan's way, which will surely land you in hell, or Jesus' way, which will surely land you in heaven. <laughs> Why would you choose Satan? He's a loser. He's the one that lost. He's the one that lost at the cross and he's been acting out of desperation ever since. So here we have the Holy Spirit. He comforts, he reproves. Look at verse 12. He says, I have yet many things to say unto you, but ye cannot bear them. Howbeit when he, the spirit of truth is come, he will guide you into all truth. Oh, so what does the Holy Spirit do? He comforts. What does he do? He reproves or convicts. What does he do? He guides. That means he directs. That means He channels His people. The Bible says that as many as are led by the Spirit of God, they are the sons of God. I want to say to you as believers this morning, God the Holy Spirit is alive and will, and He is ready and willing and able to guide you into all truth. 
Now, I believe that he's speaking here specifically to these disciples, saying he's going to guide them into all truth because Jesus Christ is going to be gone. And, and so he's going to guide them into the truth of the Word of God. But he's also speaking in a secondary way to those here that are, are saved and needing guidance. The Bible says, if any of you lack wisdom, let him ask of God that giveth to all men liberally and upbraideth not, and it shall be given him. I am so thankful for the fact that I can go to the Holy Spirit anytime, anywhere, any place, and say, here I have a problem. And I need help with this problem. Here I have a decision. And I need guidance in this decision. Will you give me guidance? And he's there, ready. The Bible says he gives wisdom liberally. That means he's not a stingy giver. Look at what John chapter 16 and verse 13 says. It says, Howbeit, when he, that is the Spirit of truth, is come, he will guide you into all truth, for he shall not speak of himself, but whatsoever he shall hear, that shall he speak, and he will show you things to come. Alright, what is he going to do? He's going to reveal. What does the Holy Spirit do? This blessed Holy Spirit that is to us right now as Jesus was to the disciples in this chapter. What does the Holy Spirit do? The Holy Spirit comforts. The Holy Spirit reproves. The Holy Spirit guides. Are you ready? The Holy Spirit reveals. He said, He will show you things to come. That means He's going to reveal what's going to happen in the latter days. He's going to reveal that through His Word. Notice verse 14. He shall glorify Me. For he shall receive of mine and shall show it unto you. Wow. What does the Holy Spirit do? Listen closely and I'm through. He magnifies Jesus. He magnifies Jesus Christ. Now I want to say that the measure of whether the Holy Spirit is at work or not is not determined by waves of people in the congregation falling over because the preacher waves across them or breathes on them. Now, I know some preachers with a breath that could probably land a few down, but, but I'm not talking about that. Listen to me. I was watching uh, uh, just a newsreel yesterday as I was, as, and listening to it as I was coming up and, and thinking about this, and there's a, a group of people that I know personally, preachers that used to be Bible-preaching preachers in this kind of a church, and they are caught up now in speaking in tongues and supposedly getting people to fall over in a service and, and jerk around like they're demon-possessed and they very, may, may very well be. That is not the evidence of Holy Spirit power. Do you know one of the, the number one primary focus of the Holy Spirit is to glorify Jesus Christ. You show me somebody that's Spirit-filled, Spirit-guided, Spirit following. You show me somebody that's full of the Holy Spirit and yielded to the Holy Spirit, and I'll show you somebody that talks a lot about Jesus. You show me that's somebody that's full of the Holy Spirit, guided by the Holy Spirit, anointed by and filled with the Holy Spirit, I'll show you somebody that tries to get as many people as he can to trust in Jesus Christ. You show me a preacher that's full of the Holy Spirit, empowered by the Holy Spirit. Listen to me. I'll show you a preacher that points people to Jesus Christ and magnifies the Lord Jesus Christ, His life, His suffering, His death, His burial, His resurrection, His power, His coming. A preacher or a Christian that is filled with the Holy Spirit, they're not going to roll around in the aisles. They're not going to try to get other people to roll around in the aisles. That is all a sidetrack of the devil. But somebody who is filled with the Holy Spirit is going to make much of Jesus Christ. I want to ask, are we doing that? Right now, the Holy Spirit is to us what Jesus was to His disciples. 
And I come back to my first thought that tragically often he's completely ignored. A day will go by. A week will go by. Months will go by. And we don't reference him. We don't submit to him. We don't speak to him. We don't consider his will and his way. We don't let him magnify Jesus through our lips and through our lives, through our lives, and, and thus we ignore him. Wouldn't it be a tragedy if God were ignored? It was in the garden. It was in Noah's day. It was at Babel. It was in the Old Testament when the prophets were preached and eventually the people so ignored and discarded, disregarded and dismissed the work of the Lord through the prophets that they took up stones to stone them. It was when Jesus was on this earth. Most of the people that were there with Him despised Him and rejected Him and hid their faces from Him. But not. it doesn't have to be. It doesn't have to be in this world. It doesn't have to be today. I want to ask, will you acknowledge the presence of the Holy Spirit in your life? Receive His comfort? Will you receive His reproof and His correction? Will you accept and seek His guidance? Will you ask Him to reveal things to come through the precious Word of God? And will you ask Him today to help you magnify the Lord Jesus so that Jesus is seen and shown and revealed through your lips and through your life? Will you let the Holy Spirit have His way or will you ignore Him? When you leave today, one of two things will be happening. Either you'll disregard Him, ignore Him, dismiss Him, or you'll say, Holy Spirit, would you please speak to me? Would you please guide me? Would you please direct me? I want Jesus to be the pinnacle. I want Him to be seen. And may no one look at my life as I live it out here in Brookings, South Dakota and say, that man ignored God. Would you bow with me in prayer? Heads are bowed and eyes are closed. I want to thank you for your attention to the Word of God. How many in this place would say, Brother Dwight, I know that I'm saved. I'm sure that I'm on my way to heaven. But you'd say, Preacher, God's Holy Spirit has convicted me about ways that I'm drifting from Him. Walking away from Him. And I want to get right. I don't want to be one who ignores Almighty God and ignores the sweet Holy Spirit. Would you pray for me that I get right? If that's you, would you slip up your hand right now? Preacher, pray for me. God bless you. Thank you. Okay, who else along with these? Anybody else? Men or women? Young or old? Preacher, pray for me. I'm saved. But I'm not right with God. There's some ways I've been ignoring the Lord. I've got my own way that I've been going. Thank you. Preacher, pray for me that I get right. God bless you. God bless you. Now, if you raised your hand, in just a moment, we're going to have an invitation. That means we're going to give people an opportunity to respond to the Lord. Now, God has been so gracious to speak to you and to speak to us this morning through His Word and through His preacher. Would you be right in responding to Him? You said, Preacher, that'd be right. It would be right. And so in a moment when we stand, I'm going to ask the pianist to play a few verses of, of only trust Him. And as she, as she begins to make ready to play and we prepare to sing, God spoke into your heart. I want to urge you on the first note of the first verse. If you just raised your hand as a Christian, just to slip from your seat, come. Make an altar here at the front. Maybe sit down on the front row. If you need some prayer, pastor will be here to help you and to guide you and others will as well. I want to encourage you to come. Don't wait. No matter if you're sitting in the back row or in the middle of the aisle, you come. God spoke into your heart. Question number two. How many of you would say, Brother Dwight, I'm not perfect, but I know that I'm saved. If I were to die today, I can say emphatically and without hesitation that there's been a time and a place when I've been born again, when I've accepted Jesus Christ. 
I've chosen to believe on Him and turn from my unbelief. And I know, not wish or hope or think, that I'm saved and on my way to heaven. If that's you, would you slip your hand up right now to preacher as a testimony to Jesus Christ? I know that I'm saved. Just slip it up and keep it up just for a moment. Preacher, I know that I'm saved. And if I died today or five years from now, I'd be in heaven. Thank you. And put your hands down. Now I saw some who couldn't raise their hand. I want to thank you for your honesty. I wonder if you're here and you said, Brother Dwight, as you were speaking, I didn't realize the Holy Spirit did that. I didn't realize that He would reprove the world of sin and righteousness and of judgment. Jude said, Preacher, I don't want to die in my sins. And I certainly don't want to die in unbelief. Would you pray for me that I'd stop trusting in whatever I've trusted in and I'd put my faith in Jesus? I don't know that I'm going to heaven when I die. But I would like to know, would you pray with me that I'd get it settled today? Yes, I will. I'll not embarrass you or single you out, but I'd like to pray for you and with you if that's you. Would you just slip your hand up right now? Is there anybody like that? Preacher, please pray for me. God bless you. Is there someone else? Preacher, please pray for me. Thank you. Is there another? I don't know that I'm going to heaven, but I need to know and I truly want to know that my sins are forgiven and that my home is heaven. Anyone else along with these? Just slip up your hand, put it right back down. I'll see it and in a moment. I'll remember you in prayer. Is there another? Anyone else? All right, now if you just raised your hand and you said, Preacher, I don't know that I'm saved, but I need to know and I want to know. Would you just lift your eyes and look at me for just a moment? Did you mean that? Did you mean that? All right, in just a moment, we're going to stand. And as I said, I'm going to pray for you. But my prayers alone can't get you to heaven. And I want to urge you personally to come trust Christ as Savior. When I get done praying, that we're going to be standing and the pianist is going to begin playing. And Pastor Yoder will be right here at the front. I want to urge you on the first note of the first verse just to leave your seat and come take Pastor by the hand. Say, Pastor, I need to be saved. We'll have a man deal with you if you're a man, a lady if you're a lady privately and help you to trust Christ as Savior. There is nothing in this world that is more important than trusting Jesus Christ. And there's no better time to do it than today. I want to urge you to do it today. Let's stand with our heads bowed and our eyes closed. Everyone standing. Father, thank You for Your Word. Thank You for the power of it. Oh, Holy Spirit of God, how I pray that right now You would draw men and women to Yourself. I pray for Christians that by uplifted hand acknowledged they've been drifting and walking at a guilty distance from You. Help them to get right with You now. Help them to come and get things squared away. You've reproved them, Holy Spirit, and shown them a right way. Help them to follow You now. and Lead and follow. Follow Your guidance and leading. I pray for these two that need to be saved. Help them not to worry about what anyone near them may think or anyone around them. Help them to know they're amongst friends. And I pray that today they would come and trust Christ as Savior. And we'll thank You for what You'll do. Heads are bowed. Eyes are closed.